So girls, can you tell me some things about Daddy? Can you give me some of Daddy's characteristics? Daddy is very funny and he gives us lots of presents. Speak louder. He gives you lots of presents. And he does, and he gives us lots of lovely picnics. Lovely picnics. Heidi, what can you tell me about Daddy? Well, he's warm and He's really funny. And Alice, how do you know these things about Daddy? How do you know about these characteristics? Because we know, because we know you, Daddy. Be because you know me. You've met me, haven't you? Yes. And we have a relationship, don't we? We have a daddy-daughter relationship. Yeah, because we know you. That's right. Thank you, girls. Morning, it's July the 5th and lockdown has changed slightly. Great to be with you here on this Sunday morning. I, of course, am Andy Kinder wearing a nice new shirt and Alan and I went out yesterday to get ourselves haircuts. So we are ready. We are ready for this morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. We're carrying on through Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 9 to 15, I'm going to do this morning. Um, now, thank you to my daughters for that very obviously biased and manipulated description of their Daddy, but one of the things that I didn't ask them to say is that thing that Alice said at the end when she said, well, I asked, why do you know these things about Daddy? How do you know these things? And she said, because we know you, Daddy. And that's exactly the point. So that was spontaneous, but that was the point. My daughters don't just know things about me. They actually know me. They know stuff about me because of the relationship that we have. My character is testable and the things that they know about me are provable and proven in the relationship that we have. It was Alice's birthday last week and it's Heidi's birthday tomorrow and I am good at buying gifts for them. I do send them gifts and they like that. But you know what? A gift outside of a relationship doesn't mean very much. If they knew that I was someone who sent gifts but I never came to find them, I never came to see them, then ultimately the gifts would become meaningless. And if the stuff that they thought they knew about me was undermined by the fact that we didn't have any relationship, well, they would start to question whether they actually knew those things about me. Because outside of relationship, you can't really know or trust a person. Nowhere else in the world of religions or worldviews can you know God personally, outside of the Christian story. And you know, you cannot experience love outside of personal relationship. I don't love Alan. Not, it's not a good example. <laughs> I would never do anything to hurt you. Your eyes falling out. I'll sort that out later. I do love Alan. But I don't love my bowler hat. This is a good example. I love, I, I like it very much. I think it's a great hat, but I don't love it because it's not personal. I cannot have a relationship with it. Are you still annoyed with me? It's going to be all right. How can you really say that you know stuff about someone if you if you don't if you don't know them? The great news about the gospel, the great news about the Christian story, is that. We can't just, we don't just know stuff about God, but we actually know him. 
And he is, he is a God who sends presents. But the present is him. He is the gift. The present is his presence. You know, the God of the Bible, the Bible is old. But the word of God is alive and active. The God of Christianity is it's not an archaeological dig where we kind of uncover some stuff and we piece things together and we say, oh, he, he must have been an interesting God. The same God that called the Jews out of Egypt, that helped them build the wall, that sent the Messiah, is the same God who speaks to you today, who calls you today. It's good news. So Nehemiah 9 is basically one big prayer of confession and repentance. It's based on looking at where the Jews have come from, where God has brought them from, recognising that he's always been with them, that they can trust him and then committing to him for their future. So I'm going to read these verses, but I'm just going to stop as we go through and list the characteristics of God. And the point of this whole talk is that God, the God of the Bible, unlike any God anywhere else, has made himself knowable and accessible. So here we go. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. God sees. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. God hears. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land. So God sends, but the root word of send is the same root word as mission. So you might say God is on a mission. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. God knows. You made a name for yourself which remains to this day. So God endures. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground. God protects. God goes ahead. But you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. God protects. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire. God leads to give them light on the way they were to take. God lights up. You came down on Mount Sinai. God comes down. He reveals himself. You spoke to them from heaven. God speaks. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right. God gives and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath, so God makes known, and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, he feeds. And in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. So God orders, God commands, he exhorts. And then it says, you had sworn with your uplifted hand. So God, God promises. Let me just recap on those. God sees, God hears, God sends, God's on a mission. God knows, God endures, God goes ahead of us, God protects us, God leads us, God comes to us, God speaks to us, God gives, God reveals, God feeds, he exhorts us and encourages us, he promises. All in six verses. The big question of life is, who are you? That's the big question of life. Who are you? What's your identity? And, um, you know, if there is a God, if there is a God, 
then we can't really know who we are until we know who he, she, or it is. And I talked about this on the on the CVM Sunday Night Live thing, but it's worth repeating because it, it's it's contextual. Let's look at what the different worldviews say about about who you are. So if you say to a, a Buddhist, "Who am I? Who am I?" If you ask a Buddhist, "Who am I?" A Buddhist, if they wanted to be true to Buddhism, would say, "Well, you're you're nothing. You're nothing. You're no thing." Literally, because no thing really exists. Life is, is, is just an illusion. You say to a, a Hindu, who am I? And they would say, well, you're, you're nobody. You're nobody. You're just part of the overall whole. You do not have an identity separate from the chair you're sitting on or the bowler hat you, you might be wearing. So you're nobody. You say to a, a Muslim, who am I? And they would say, well, you're, you're somebody, but you're nobody very important. Because it might very well be that if you become a Muslim and you, and you outweigh your bad works with your good works, then Allah might very well send you to heaven. But he might very well send you to hell. He can do things on a whim and, and does. He's not that into you. So who are you on Islam? Well, you're, you're nobody very important. The way Allah treats you doesn't come out of his nature. He's not bound by anything other than whatever he fancies doing on that particular day. You say to an atheist, who am I? And an atheist, if they wanted to be true to what atheism actually is, they would have to say, well, it's not a question of, of who you are, but, but what you are. And you are simply a protoplasmic sack of chemicals with a limited shelf life. You are a collection of molecules and atoms beautifully presented, but you are nothing more or less than the residue from one big cosmic burp. So it's not who you are, it's what you are. You're just cosmic shrapnel. You say to a Christian, who am I? And a Christian, if they wanted to be true to what the gospel actually is, they would have to say, oh, I know who you are, yes. I've been trying to place you. You're that person that Jesus died for. You're that person who, even if you were the only person on earth, Jesus would have still come to find you. God would have come down to find you and taken on death on your behalf. That's who you are. See, I'm often accused of, not accused, I'm teased for talking about other religions. It's something I talk about a lot, but it's not just because I don't have anything else to say. The point is that you can't understand the good news. You can't fully fall in love with the gospel until you understand the gospel, which is the bad news, that if Jesus isn't true, then no one's coming for you. No one's offering to save you. No one's offering to lead you to God. No one's offering to die in your place. No one's telling you that you're worth dying for. The other news is bad. And until we understand that no one else is offering good news, we can't really fully appreciate the uniqueness of Christianity. But the uniqueness of Christianity is that because of who he is and how he has revealed himself and made himself known, we can know who we are. This is the point. Someone might say, um, well, I do believe in a God of love, but I don't believe in the Christian God. I think that God is bigger than all religions. And maybe every religion gets a, a, a bit of him. And I agree with you, Christians, that, that God is, is love. But I think he's bigger than, than, than Christianity. He's bigger than this exclusive worldview that you have and I would say okay fine so if God is, is, is bigger 
Um, if this God of love is, is bigger than Christianity, describe him to me. Give me some characteristics, because the Bible lists some characteristics of God. So give me some. And someone might say, well, uh, um, okay, well no, I don't know. I mean, maybe he's like a, a, maybe he's like a river. Okay, well, maybe he's not good enough. Like, who is he? Get, I'm trying to get my head around him. Give me some characteristics. Oh, no, I don't know. No, you don't know because you've made it up. You've made him up. You know, a God of unconditional love who is bigger than every religion but doesn't do anything to reveal himself is not a God of love at all. He's a God of total apathy. He's not that into you. You know, we have, we have a name for people who love you from a distance without revealing themselves. We call them stalkers. So you know what? You can, you can, keep, you can keep this vague God of spirituality because he doesn't care. He hasn't done anything to reveal himself. So you don't actually know him or anything about him. The Bible promises not just that I can know things about God, but I can actually know him. So you keep him and I'll keep the God who comes down, who sees and who leads and who protects and who feeds and who reveals and who speaks. The God who comes down in, in the form of Jesus and says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You don't have to guess what God is like because I and the Father are one. You don't have to walk in darkness and confusion because I am the light of the world. And because I live, you will live also. I'll keep that God, thank you. And if you look through the passage we've just read, I'll just take a few key phrases. It says, you saw their suffering. You came down. You gave bread. Do you see how that foreshadows the incarnation? That the suffering servant came down and said, I am the bread of life. So even in the Old Testament, we have these amazing signposts to the fullness of who God is. The fullness of that relationship that we can have with him. On the 14th of April 1991, I went to Wembley with my dad. My dad took me to Wembley to the FA Cup semi-final between Arsenal and Spurs. And um, Arsenal had had a really good season. They went on to win the league. And Spurs, I mean, despicable team. And Arsenal's biggest rivals. You know, Spurs fans, they, they, don't, they don't social distance for a start. They are cruel to animals. Um, some of them like soup. I mean, I think you get the impression of what we're talking about. Anyway, Arsenal, Spurs, big rivals. And before the match, my dad took me to the Arsenal shop and he bought me this. He bought me this. It's a bit too small for me now. And whatever you think about the kit, I mean, it was the early 90s, come on. But I think it's beautiful. And this is the original one. So this, is, this is 30 years old. And I, I wore this at Wembley for the match. And Arsenal lost 3-1. Paul Gascoigne and Gary Lineker <laughs> scored and we lost 3-1. And I was absolutely devastated because, you know, at 10 years old or however I was, Football was my, my life. And on the train back, I was devastated. On the journey back, I was devastated. I was really upset. But you know, I, I was clothed in something. I was clothed in something that brought me comfort in the moment and would endure beyond the pain 
of that day. I'd had a bad day, but I had a good dad. And I knew that. I'd had a bad day, but I had and have a good dad. I mean, look, it's so beautiful. You know, I haven't always felt that close to my dad. And because, we're, you know, we're British, we're not great British males at, at showing emotion, presumably in case we let our guards down and the Vikings try and invade again. I, I don't really know. But I've never once doubted that my dad cared for me. I've never once doubted that he loved me because I can look back and hold on to stuff in the past. This is what's happening in Nehemiah. They're looking back and saying, oh yes, we can hold on to stuff. There's stuff that happened that we can rely on. And this is not the only shirt I had. I had every home and away shirt, season after season. My dad, my dad made a name for himself that remains to this day. I have this, if you like, as a sign of the covenant, a sign of the relationship that I have with my dad. I don't know everything about my dad, but I do know him. I do know him. And I can trust, therefore, the things that I know about him. That father-son relationship is built on a firm foundation. And I have things I can look back on and I can say, you know what? Even though I was suffering after the FA Cup semi-final, I knew my father had blessed me. And I've got stuff that endures. I am clothed in something that endures, brings comfort in the moment and endures beyond the pain. The relationship I have with my dad is built on a firm foundation. It's a house built on a rock. My dad's name is Peter, and that literally means rock. And the same with my, my own daughters. They know me, and they know things about me because they know me, and they can trust me. They can trust that daddy will always come to find them. They can trust that daddy loves them. Not because I'm distant and send vague messages, but because I actually show up. I actually come down, literally, I come down from Chesterfield to Essex. They know me. However good our earthly dads are, and some of you have not had a great relationship with your earthly dad. I'm, I'm very lucky, and I think my daughters are lucky as well. Not everyone has a great relationship with their earthly dad, but however good an earthly dad is, Again, it's just a foreshadowing. In the same way that Nehemiah 9 foreshadows the coming of Jesus and the fullness of that relationship, so our relationship with our earthly fathers is a signpost towards the relationship we can have with our heavenly father, who doesn't just buy us nice shirts, but buys us at a price. Who offers to never leave us and never forsake us. The relationship we have with our, with our dads, good or bad, it, it's a taster menu. It's a trailer for the main event. It says, um, again, towards the end of that passage, you gave them commands, decrees and laws. Everything needs boundaries. He gave them commands, decrees and laws. That sounds a bit strict, but everything needs boundaries. You cannot have a home without a house. 
You cannot have a relationship without some kind of structure, without some kind of boundaries. Boundaries are, are, are not a bad thing. We're in covenant, not contract, but covenant still needs boundaries. You can't have a home without a house. So today for you, maybe, maybe like these guys in Jeremiah, you need, to, you need to confess some stuff to God. Maybe you need to look back at where God's brought you from. And maybe you need to realise that he's been with you the whole time. And maybe you will look back at times where you've felt like you were going through suffering, going through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm convinced, though, that you'll have stuff to hold on to, that you'll be able to see that even in the midst of suffering, your father had blessed you. So maybe you just need to, maybe you've been a bit neggy. Maybe you just need to say to God, you know, I, I realise that I haven't trusted you as I should have done, but I'm going to hold on to the promise. I'm going to hold on to what you've done and know that you've promised good things for my future. I'm going to trust you for that. Maybe make a list like they, like they do here. List the things that God has done for you. List the things that you know to be true about your, about your Heavenly Father. And maybe you, you don't know this God that you're, you're hearing about. Maybe you want to know him. Maybe you've fallen into the trap of thinking that you can't know much about God, that he's distant. But he came down. He came to find you when you felt like nothing and he offers you everything. So if you don't know him, maybe you'd like to know him. But you know what? You don't need to be confused about what he thinks about you or what he's like. He loves you and he says that you're worth dying for. And if you come to him, he offers you a fullness of life that you might not think possible, but that is nevertheless true. He offers you something, this is 30 years old, but God offers you an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil and never fade. And in the same way that in 1991 I left having had a bad day, clothed in something that made me feel better. When you come to Jesus, you are clothed in righteousness. It just means right relationship. You're in the right relationship with your dad. Because you know what? If Christianity is true, then daddy loves you. I see it. I know it in my own relationships with my own dad, or with my own daughters. But it's even more true about the God of the Bible, that your dad loves you. And you know, once you know that, once you choose to believe that and live out of that identity, well, every day is like a trip to Wembley. <laughs>